We're going on to the subject um, of Romans chapter 1, verse 18, the end of the chapter, which we're going to head the wrath of God. I was wondering about a hymn. I don't... Um, I was looking at number 12 in the PHSS. I'm not going to read it all because it's got seven verses of it. Uh, but it's maybe just one I can mention that you can have a look at because it deals with some aspects of what I'm going to be talking about there. It starts off with uh, how deep and grievous was the woe of Christ upon the cross. It laid the mighty Saviour low when hanging there for us to bring us gain we bear, he bear the pain and suffered shame and loss. But on the second verse, the wage of sin was in our cup. Wrath filled it to the brim. Its bitterness, we'll never sup. That cup was drunk by him. And then verse three, there rose a keen, relentless storm. It burst on Christ alone. It marred his visage and his form. But thus he saved his own. He bore the grief for our relief, unaided and alone. And then the fourth one talks about Jehovah's righteous anger dire fell on his own son, his only son. And then the wrathful sword was raised to smite the one who pleased him well. The wrath of God it is something that you see throughout the scriptures. The bit that we're going to read about, and I want us just to give some thought to it as we read it together, because I'm going to just read maybe the first few verses of uh, verses 18, maybe through to 24, 25. And it's to do with God's attitude, God's feelings about mankind and how man reacts to him and what God thinks, and particularly against those that reject him. So just to get the connection, I'm just going to come in at um, Romans chapter one and just where Ian left off last week. So if we read uh, verse 17, and then I'll read through to verse 25. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. And then verse 18, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what? may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. That's mankind, of course. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, for their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man, and birds, and animals, and reptiles. 
Therefore, God gave them over in their sinful desires of their heart to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. I'll refer to the other verses uh, later, if I've got time, uh, through to the end of the chapter. But I want to just uh, focus, first of all, on verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. The wrath of God was revealed from heaven. We read in verse 17 to get the connection, it talked the righteousness of God is revealed through the gospel. And then he switches to the wrath of God that is revealed from heaven. In the Old Testament, you read about the wrath of God in bursts of judgment, if I could put it that way. Um, dramatic things like the flood where the sinfulness and the wickedness of mankind got so bad that God intervened. And obviously in the, the flood, very dramatically, where all but eight people and the animals that were in the ark were totally wiped out. Also things like Sodom and Gomorrah, where the evil and the sinfulness there was dealt with by God in a dramatic way. The armies of Egypt in the Red Sea. And there's many, many cases of where God intervened. He, his wrath, his righteous judgment came down on the people of the earth because of their sinfulness. Here in this, the New Testament, the time after the death of Christ on the cross, we read about the wrath of God being revealed. It's ongoing revelation of the wrath of God being revealed in two areas. <laughs> if you put it in two, two heads, so to speak. One being the godlessness and the other being the wickedness. You think, well, there's a, a strong connection there, of course. But when it, God was revealing his wrath, he showed all his wrath at the cross at Calvary. And of course, we can read all about that in um, Lamentations 1 and 12, where you read about the Lord's thoughts on the cross, about the fierce anger of God that was being directed at him. And he was asking those that were passing by, is it nothing to you? So you get a picture there of the wrath of God coming down on the son of man. Isaiah 53, of course, is um, where you're really being directed to a man who is stricken by God, smitten by God, afflicted by God. You're seeing the picture of the wrath of God 
coming down and dealing with sin. You could look at the flood as being a very dramatic judgment on the earth and the sinfulness and destroying mankind. But of course, out of the ark came men and women who were still sinners. And the sin continued and it got worse and worse and worse with mankind. And God constantly is intervening. He's constantly looking for righteousness in mankind. And you read that he didn't find any. You read that, of course, in, in Psalm, Psalm 14. Talking about the fool in his heart says there's no God. The Lord looks down from heaven on the sons of men to see if there are any who understand or who seek God. All have turned aside. They have together become corrupt. There is no one who does good. Not even one. It's a, the lovely picture of the gospel, really, that you can see in the study of the wrath of God is that the wrath of God is born out of his love. <laughs> the strange connection there, that the love of God in sending his son, the love of God for mankind, the love of God that wanted uh, mankind reconciled to him in order that he could have this deep relationship. The whole picture of the gospel is something that is so precious and so important. Sometimes I think I've said it before that there's a, an attitude sometimes that the gospel is something that once you've received it, you can put it away. Uh, now I'm a born again uh, believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm saved. Now I don't need to think about the, the gospel, the good news about salvation because I've moved on. You never move on from your salvation. The importance of understanding the wrath of God and why he was angry and what he was punishing, what he was dealing with on the person of Christ is deeply rooted in us because we have been crucified with him. And we need to understand that on a daily hourly, forever basis of having any appreciation about the mind of God and what it is that he desires from us. And so when we look at these, the cross, and we see our sins being dealt with because the Son of Man became sin and God punished him and in such a horrific way, that the full weight of the righteousness of God, the full weight of his um, divine plan and his need for sin to be dealt with, not just like in a flood case where it's dealt with only for it to resurrect its head, but to go right into the depths of it and to deal with sin in its root form. 
and to deal with it and put it away so that our sins are removed from us as far as the east from, is from the west and to know and have the assurance of that. So when it comes here in Romans and it talks about, well, what about these uh, God's dealings with all ungodliness and all unrighteousness or wickedness, it says in the NIV, dealing with it all. It's the two heads I was talking about is one, dealing with people who know about God. That's where ungodliness is, people who, they know there's a God. And the Psalms I've referred to um, talk about the things that are evident, the things that we should just know by looking around us, that there's a God. People, Bible tells us that people who say there is no God are fools. They are idiots. They, they are sad, sad people if they say there is no God. Because does not nature itself teach you that? When we go out and enjoy the countryside or even enjoy people and get into the minds of each other, joy, enjoy fellowship, you see the hand of God and it's evident in our lives and it should be as we live our lives we should be seeing God all around us in the beautiful plants in the beautiful animals in nature itself we don't even need to leave our house to be able to see the glory of God and on a daily basis be rejoicing with him about his revelation but people who are ungodly reject that they see it and they remove it and they say, no, these things happen by chance. We don't believe in God. We don't believe in a supernatural power. These things just happened and we will use millions and millions of years as justification for things just evolving bit by bit. Unrighteousness or wickedness is really what almost comes out of that is that people, they are not rejecting God. They just don't know God, never met God. They've never uh, been faced up with him. They just don't want to know. And they are steeped in the things of this world and they've made their own gods. In the scriptures, you get a lot of references to idol worship. And there was a lot of it then, and there is still today uh, people who worship idols. And it, the scriptures mock it to a certain extent that Paul here in his letter to the Romans, he says, you know, you've got the real thing. You've got God in his creation sort of sounding out loudly to us. But there are men who are taking God's creation, making images of it and worshiping it. And not just mankind's images, they're even making images of animals that God's created that just don't have um, any soul and you worship that. And you think, what? why would you? 
why would you do that? It's a depraved mind of God. And so out of that comes the wrath of God in the way that he's looking at this and what he feels about it, about man's rejection. You remember in John 12, the, these Greeks that came to the Lord and they asked to see Jesus. And the Lord's response to them was that um, he talked about the seed going into the ground and dying. And, uh, and then he went on to say, my heart is troubled. And he said, Father, save me from this hour. And then he says, no, it was for this very reason. I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And the voice came out of heaven. And he says, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. And the people that were the Greeks and the others who were around thought, was that thunder? What was that noise? And Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out, but I, if I be lifted up, draw all men unto myself. This was the Lord Jesus pointing out that the judgment was now, it was coming. Sin was going to be dealt with. Satan was going to be dealt with. And it was going to happen at the cross. The judgment was now. It's an ongoing thing, because as we said, that the, the wrath of God is being revealed. It was not just the, the, once, the, the wrath of God is seen on the cross at Calvary, on the person of Christ. That is one aspect of it. But it's ongoing, because people who reject what happened at the cross are going to be dealt with very severely. And that's a very sobering thing. But it's something that I think should make us alive unto God. Because we are God lovers. We are people who are going to spend an eternity with God. We are people surely that want to know him. Therefore, we want to know how, what he thinks, what he feels, why he did things, and why the cross is so important. It's Important, of course, for us to accept our salvation, to accept that Jesus Christ died for our sins, accept that we have had our sins forgiven. But it's also important to understand that God was angry. God's wrath against sin is seen in the sufferings of Christ. And when it comes to men and women rejecting God, rejecting salvation, rejecting his son, rejecting anything about him. What does God think about that? In the day of his fierce anger, people who possess the truth or a knowledge of it, but suppress it 
or hold it in unrighteousness are going to be very severely judged. The two areas of wrath that we're looking at, the ungodliness, those who don't know God, have no revelation of God, but they're not picking up on the fact that they should look around them and that they should see the hand of God, the evidence of it, the heavens declare the glory of God. Uh, they, it says, have no excuse. They're going to stand before God one day and they will have no excuse. They've been judged already. The unrighteous, those who knew God, are not thankful for the blessings and they're not prepared to glorify God. They're the ones who've changed the glory of God for images. You know, we read in verse 24 that God gave them up. He gave them over. He gave them over to the lusts of their heart. Or they gave them over to the sinful desires of their hearts. And in verse 26, God gave them over to shameful lusts. And then in verse 28, he gave them over to a deprived mind. Something it, you know, I just looked into that word of gave them over, gave them up. A Greek word, paradodii, paradodomi, <laughs> paradodomi. It means surrender. It means yield, deliver up, imprison. It's a very sobering thing to think about God giving up on you. There's that fly again. God giving up on you. It's a serious matter. God's sentence on sin was meted out at Calvary. And when God sees people who have got every opportunity to follow him, to love him, and to have eternity with him, and they say, no, I don't know you. I don't want to know you. I don't want anything to do with you. It says there's a point in time that God will not strive with man forever. We said that to, about mankind before the flood, and he destroyed them. God will not con contend forever with mankind. We've only got a very short life, and mankind has only got a very short life, generally speaking. And they have an opportunity of seeing God and believing in him and following him. But if they go after, as we read about in these verses from 26 onwards, in the depravity of man to follow sin and get steeped in sin and get so engorged in it that you don't even recognize that you're sinning anymore. These are people that says that God will give them over. He'll let them get on with it. And he'll walk away. And these people are lost. They're lost for eternity. But I just want to be talking about the wrath of God. You might think, well, we can sit here and think, well, that doesn't apply to me <laughs> because I believe in Jesus Christ. I love him. I'm not like that. I don't do these horrible things. It is, I think there's a, 
a teaching here for us also in knowing that God hates sin. And whilst we have been redeemed and we have, because of Christ, been accepted by him and our future is secure, we live in sinful bodies and Satan's ever attacking us day by day. And each one of us continues to sin. And God hates it. And God's wrath can also come out on us. It's not eternal. <laughs> We've got that security. But is there a danger that we can also be given over to, as a people who are not giving up sin, that we allow sin to be a major part in our lives that affects our service and that we are, we are not following him, we are not loving him, we are not engrossed in the mind of Christ or the mind of God, that we want to be pleasing him. We are just so steeped in sin. And by that, I mean the, the things that occupy our time that are not godly, that are not beneficial. Things that are temporary, things that take us away from the Lord and force us into filling our time with the things of this world, then is there a danger that we might just be given up? And that's in the service point of view, that David King is so busy with this, that, and the next thing in the world, the Lord might think he's no use to me. I would love to have used him. I'd love to have him to have served me in so many ways, but I give him over. And that's when I, we will stand before the Lord at the judgment seat of Christ. And there our lives will be opened up. And it's the wrath of God, I think, is the fire that comes down and the wood, the hay and the stubble which is all the things that we did for ourselves, all the idol worship we did, whether it be our house, our car, our holidays, whatever we spent our time in that now didn't include the Lord, all the things that caused us to go away from him gets burnt up, and then it's what's left. The things that will remain are the things that we've given to God, the things that we've given for him, the appreciation of Christ on the cross, the appreciation and the understanding of what makes God angry, sin. Understanding sin is to be done away with, it's to be put away in our lives. And I just pray that I and you will have gold, silver and precious stones left and he will look at them and he'll smile and he'll welcome us into the future with him as a people who have given our lives. When we had choice, when we were able to choose him or the things of this world. So I just leave these thoughts with you. <laughs> There's a lot of the wrath of God is a vast subject and it's so many aspects of it, but just if you read through that, the rest of that chapter and you look at the depravity of man 
and just think about God's thoughts on that, what he thinks about it. And we have a, a duty. We have a responsibility. It's not that we're just saved. We're all going to heaven. Great. Let's just continue in sin. Paul said, God forbid. Don't do that. Just think about what the Lord's done for us. Don't respond in that way. Let's give him our lives.